If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Last week we started a series on the Holy Spirit. And as I explained before, it was a season, it was a series that I preached four years ago when we were still in the house. And when I asked if you those of you who were with us in the house when we did this series before for you to raise your hands, there weren't very many hands raised. So it's it's a new series for uh, most of us here in this room. And the Holy Spirit, as as I've been reworking this series, he's just over the years, just the uh, insights that he's given through his scripture and through experience through his word have just come into play and re- reviving this series in my own heart and life, and I pray that it is fresh and anointed for you. Now, last week we learned who he was. We learned that the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher and helper. He's he's there to guide us. Uh, This week, the title of this message is Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be in relationship with God and then also to be the church. Now, I want you to remember this is a teaching series. So we're going to dig a lot and we're going to take our time so that we can understand uh, hopefully what the scripture is saying and the Holy Spirit can lead us in there. So I'm going to give you today a lot of background, a lot of context. I'm going to give you a lot of words. And so uh, I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you uh, to just uh, be very mindful and present uh, if you would so we can journey together. Now, it's very, very very, very important to remember this truth that I preached on last week, and it is the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We sing those words, we preach those words, we teach those words, we'll say those, we agree with them, but then it's like, okay, now where do we, how do we live that way? How do we? And, and so I, it's important that we know that. We see that uh, they were in the beginning, or that God was the three, the, the Godhead in three persons was there before the world began. We see that in Genesis 1.1. We see that in 1.26. We see that in John 1.1. So it's all throughout scripture. You can see the workings of the Trinity together. See, it's so critical. Here, I mean, this is probably the most important thing to nail down. It is so critical to not lose sight of this very thing that the Holy Spirit is God because if we do not first see him as God and then as a person, we will not properly relate to him or understand what scripture says about him and what he came to do. It's just plain and simple. We won't be able to uh, understand that. If in your mind... There is a separation, and you separate the Holy Spirit from being God in some form or fashion, you're going to have a hard time understanding the things of the Spirit. The other thing that we talked about, and I used a a, a weird uh, language in it, and you'll understand what I'm saying, but I said, the Godhead be love. You remember me saying that? And that's just like, Godhead be love. But here's what I mean by that. The Godhead, or God the Father defines love, God the Son demonstrates love, God the Holy Spirit delivers love. God in three persons, three distinctive persons. See, God the Father sent God the Son 
to demonstrate his love. And then that's why Jesus then sent the Holy Spirit so that his love could be delivered to us and he could deliver love through us. All right, now, let's dig into a little context. Are y'all with me today? Y'all ready? Okay. Uh, we're going to dig into a little context and then we'll read our passage. Um, I, want you, I want to take you to the Old Testament for just a minute. Um, in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Moses and he designed a system for God and man to be in relationship. Okay? Uh, the relationship was established through the law. The people were to obey the law, and if they were to obey the law, they would remain in right standing with God. That was the, the, the ticket with the law. Uh, also in the Old Testament, under this system, the presence of God was stationary in the tabernacle. They would set up the tent. Remember, they would set up the tent. They had specific instructions. And, and the, the presence of God stayed behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. And it was only accessible through the priests. They were the only ones who could go back there. Priests then would offer sacrifices that were given by the people to atone for their sin if they broke the law. When and if they broke the law. And so uh, also in this system, God spoke to his people, but he did so through uh, angels. He spoke to them through prophets. He spoke to them through signs and wonders. Uh, in, in some cases, Jesus himself. And then the Holy Spirit during this time would ascend and descend and would fill people and he would do different biddings. And we can see that, and I just want to point out in Genesis 41:38, Pharaoh, I don't know if you remember the story, but Pharaoh recognized that Joseph was filled with the Holy Spirit. He, Pharaoh recognized that. Uh, in Exodus 31, God told Moses that I have filled the craftsmen, the, per, the people who are, are building the tabernacle and all the things in it, I have filled them with my spirit in order to do that. So we see that there are fillings of the Holy Spirit, his work, all there. He was active, empowering, he was filling. The only thing is that he wasn't indwelling in the hearts of men. That was the difference. Now, under the new covenant, come Jesus Christ, under the new covenant, through Jesus, the law was fulfilled. Now, it's important to know that it was fulfilled, but it was not abolished. God's standard has always been God's standard, and it will always be God's standard. Okay? So it's important to note that. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to get rid of it. Jesus, though, demonstrated the love of God through his earthly ministry. Yes or no? Yes. And ultimately, through his death on the cross. That was the love of God demonstrated to us. He demonstrated his love by showing compassion on people. His love and compassion. He demonstrated through miracles and teachings. And Jesus taught. He was regularly teaching. Guess what, guys? I'm, I'm showing, I'm demonstrating my love, but I'm going away. And when I go away, I'm going to send an advocate. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come in a new way. He's going to come, in, and when he comes on you... You will be empowered to demonstrate my love like I demonstrate to you, love to you now. Okay? So Jesus ascends to heaven. And ten days later, after Jesus' ascension, after the death, burial, resurrection, then Jesus, you remember he had 40 days. 
Then he ascended to the Father. There were ten days then the Holy Spirit comes in fullness at Pentecost. That was not his first entry into the world, and that was not his first workings. If you read all through the New Testament leading up to this point, he's busy working, filling, working. And at Pentecost, there were believers there who were empowered, and the church was birthed right there. Now, we talk about Pentecost, but the question is, well, what is Pentecost? What does that even mean? Well, Pentecost is one of three major feasts in the Jewish tradition. One of three major. There was uh, Passover, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is not important right now, but we know Passover. The first one was Passover. Uh, You've heard of Passover, yes? Okay. So it was the festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits. And it was at the very first month of the Hebrew year, which was in uh, Nisan is the the Hebrew calendar. It was the first uh, month there, which would be be equivalent to our April, okay? So it was the first month of the Hebrew calendar in Passover. The second was Shavuot, okay? And that is... Uh, that was Pentecost. It was the festival of harvest. That's what it was called in the Old Testament. Now, Pentecost, all that means is 50th. That's what the word means, 50th. Because Pentecost occurs 50 days after the Passover. You follow me? Okay. So it's in the third month of the Hebrew year. And then the Feast of Tabernacles is in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. Okay, now, here's something that you might not realize. You may not have put this together. God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai 50 days after the Passover in Egypt. Did you know that? So the past, remember when they, uh, they put the blood over uh, the doorposts so that the death hand, the death angel would pass over them? And so 50 days after that day, God met with, I mean Moses met with God on the mountain. 50 days. So that was Pentecost on that day. Now, if you read about the, those accounts in Exodus 19, by the way, If you read about those accounts, when the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, there was a loud noise, fire, and a descending cloud. And God wrote his law on tablets of stone on Pentecost. Now, I want to read Acts 2.1 to you. You don't have to turn there. But I want to see if you see any similarities between when Moses met with God and in Acts 2.1. Listen to this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked to be flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, do you see the similarities in those two manifestations of the Spirit of God? Loud noise, wind, fire, and an imprint. The first time God wrote His law, He imprinted His law on tablets of stone. But this time, 
God wrote his law, he imprinted his law on the hearts of men. Under the old covenant, the law was given to empower his people to be in relationship with God and with each other. You know, the Ten Commandments. Half of them are about our relationship with God. The other half about our relationship with each other. So God wrote the law to empower his people for relationship. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit has now been given to his people to empower people to live in relationship with him and with each other. It's parallel. You see that working of God. And the empowerment in the New Testament is what jump-started the New Testament church the New Testament church that we're experiencing right now. Isn't that good? All right, now that's the context. That's the background for this message. I'm going to ask if you would stand in the honor of reading God's word. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read Ephesians 3. We're going to start in verse 10. Father, I need you now to come in power and in might. Holy Spirit, would you fill me to overflowing? God, I declare my need for you today. Teach us, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way as you already have been doing in this service. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, remain standing. Here we go. We're going to speak. start in verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart of many trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home, or that word's translated dwell, dwell in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, I want you to look at that word early on in verse 16. It's the word in power. I want you to look at that word. And if you haven't already, I want you to underline it in your, in your Bible if you do that. The definition of empower simply means to put power into. That's what it means. Uh, if you look up the definition in the original language, the Greek, it would be for the believer to prevail by God's dominating strength. So he wants to put his power, his dominating strength in you to give you empowered lives. But the question is, empowered to do what? 
What are we empowered to do? The Holy Spirit, as we've already talked about, the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God to be in a love relationship with him and be the church that spreads the gospel around the world, leads people to Jesus effectively and with, as this passage says, with power. In other words, as we're becoming transformed The church is empowered and becomes the effective means by which God does his work around the world. Now, notice I did not say the effective means by which we do God's work around the world. See, God wants to empower us with his power so he can do his work through us. Now look at verse 18, Ephesians 3.18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. In other words, he wants us to have all the power to all the, understand all of the dimensions of who he is. He be love, by the way. Remember that. Remember that. He is love. This word power here, I want to read to you, and I I don't know if, yeah, okay. So I copied and pasted from the Greek lexicon, just for you. I mean, it's a teaching series. Y'all with me? Y'all okay with that? All right. I know Greek. I mean, it just excites us all, doesn't it? Uh, But I wanted wanted for you to see it um, properly. Exisio, okay, I butchered that, but you get it. Properly, strength at work, such as overcoming difficulties in understanding. Getting past knowledge gaps. That's actually there. It is only used in Ephesians 3.18, referring to apprehending or decisively laying hold of the fuller dimensions of knowing the Lord, His love, His calling, and His presence. Does that make sense? So we're talking about this word power. He wants to put power into us so that we have his power to get past our own knowledge barriers, things that we don't understand and cannot grasp and cannot do on our own, so that we can decisively take hold of the fuller definition of who he is. And who is he, by the way? He is, God is, he be, love. Without the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in our lives, there will be understanding gaps. There will be things we very simply do not have the capacity to understand about the love of God. God wants to put power into his people so that they can have a fuller dimension and a greater experience of knowing the Lord's love, his calling, and his experience. So what does that look like? How does the Spirit empower us? How does he do that? If you're taking notes, here's point number one. The Holy Spirit must indwell us. The Holy Spirit must indwell us. So how does the Holy Spirit indwell a person? Okay, first, what does indwell mean? Okay, indwell means to be permanently present. 
However you view the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what it means is he is with you. He is dwelling with you. We read that in the Ephesians passage. He came to dwell with us. We already know that the Holy Spirit is at work leading people all around the world, that he's even not indwelling in, everyone on planet Earth. We know that he's leading them. We, we read that last week. We've heard it many times from this pulpit. John 16, 8 says, In the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment. We're all saved today. If you're sitting here and you're saved today, it was because the Holy Spirit did his work of knocking at your door and convincing you that you needed a Savior. You did not wake up one day thinking, I need a Savior. Without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's his job. So the Holy Spirit leads us to faith in Jesus Christ. And he baptizes us into salvation. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the family of God. I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes. He knocks on our door. When we respond yes to him, he goes, wham, baptizes us into the family of God. I love doing that. <laughs> Jesus testifies to this. Well, Jesus testifies. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's first born of water naturally and the Spirit through salvation. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to, what's the word? Spiritual life. When we receive Christ in faith, the Holy Spirit is also received. How do we know this? How do we know this? Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, And you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Where did he promise? He promised that in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. We see that there's multiple places where he gave us that promise. The Spirit, look at this. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise, worship, and glorify him. So God promised us the Holy Spirit if we would believe. If we would believe, he promises. It's a gift he wants to give to his people. He wants to give. So God gives us, he implants the Holy Spirit within us to mark us as his. If you're a believer, you are marked as a believer before God by the Spirit of God. And he did this so that we could be in relationship with him. We have a way. His law is implanted on our hearts. We bring praise and glory to him. That's the only way we can glorify God and praise him and worship him is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the only way. And to know his love and love him back. That's it. The whole point of the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Godhead is to give us everything that we need so that we can be in fullness of relationship with him and in fullness of our purpose on planet earth. And what is it that we need the most? What is it that we need the most? I heard it. Love. Love. And remember, God the Father defines love. God, Jesus, God the Son demonstrates love. God the Holy Spirit delivers love. He knows what we need. 
and that we need to experience the fullness of it. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit indwells us. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit, here's number two. Here's number two. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 1.5. It says, John baptized in water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the way, uh, we hear that word baptized and we think of the water baptism. Um, simply, I, I just when we think of spirit baptism and being baptized into the family of God, those are words used in Scripture. But baptized simply means translated immersed. So you've heard me say, as I've preached over the years, you've heard me say to be immersed in the Spirit of God. Baptism, that is it. Baptized in the Spirit of God is just to be immersed in the things in the Spirit of God. So don't, you, don't be afraid of that or misunderstand that. Now, let me teach you a little bit. I want to show you two passages of Scripture, but I need your focus, okay? All right? Are you with me? Y'all all right? Y'all okay? Everybody all right? Good. Now, I want to show you two passages of Scripture that have the same English word that mean two different things in the original language. This is going to be fun. I can tell already. All right, now, it's Acts 2.38. I want to show you this passage. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay? All right, that's Acts 2.38. In Acts 8.12-15, through 15, it says this, But now people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. People were saved. They believed. They were baptized. Water baptism. Then Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent John, Peter and John there, and as soon as Peter and John arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, do you see that word receive in both passages? All right? Receive, receive. Okay? In Acts 2.38, receive is the Greek word lempsesthi. In Acts 8.15... Received is the Greek word, labosin. Now, both of those words, limpsesti and labosin, come from the same Greek root word. And that's the word, lambanyo. Now, lambanyo has multiple meanings. The A meaning is I receive or I get or I obtain. The second meaning is I take, I lay hold of. One is I receive, I obtain. The other is I take, I lay hold of. And it all depends on how the word is used. The first one I, I, I get, I receive, I obtain, is I actively accept with understanding what is being offered to me. The second one is, I accept with initi initiative 
using volition of the receiver. The word volition, by the way, is just to make a choice of the will. So I make a choice of the will, I make an initiative to receive something. All right? In Acts 2.38, follow me here. In Acts 2.38, the word receive, limsesti, is to receive what's given to get to obtain. So it can read this way. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive, you shall obtain the gift. By the way, sidebar, that word gift right there, it means it's the beneficent desire of the giver. The gift means that God wanted to give it to you. That's what that means. So you can obtain the gift that God wants to give to you of the Holy Spirit. You follow me? Okay, you have obtained something that God himself has initiated to give to you. Okay, it's by God's volition. In Acts 8.15, the word receive, lambosin, that they might take hold of with initiative. It can read this way. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive lambosin aggressively and with initiative take hold of the Holy Spirit. You see where I'm going. In other words, in 8.15, the Holy Spirit, it said that they were believers in Samaria. The Holy Spirit was indwelling in these new believers. But as soon as Peter and John arrived, they prayed that they would lambosin with volition to make a choice of the will to take hold of with initiative that which had already been given to them. Here's an illustration. Here's an illustration. Suppose you have a birthday party and a someone, a friend, a very close dear friend comes and they bring you a birthday card. They just hand you the card. It's in an envelope. Okay? And they hand it to you and you take it from them. All right? Now, what did you do when you took it from them? You received it. You took hold of it or you, you, re, you obtained it. Okay? You received the gift. You took what was given to you, right? All right, but you, you walked over and you put it on the gift table with all the other gifts and you didn't open it. Okay, you, you didn't open the card. But what you didn't realize was that inside this card that your friend gave you, there was a check for $20 million. That's a good friend, isn't it? I told you it was a good friend. All right, now, but you hadn't opened it yet. You don't realize this. There's a check for $20 million in this card. Now, let me ask you, did you receive the gift from your friend? Have you received it already? You've obtained it, yes. It's in your possession. They gave it to you. Even though you did not realize it at the time, did you become a millionaire and your life change at that moment when they gave the gift to you? It did. You didn't realize it, but it did because you obtained it at that moment. That is lamsesti. You gained it. You obtained it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Now, party's over. Everyone goes home. You're tired. You decide, I'll open my gifts later. You go to bed. Bad choice. Next day, you wake up and you decide, I'm going to open my presents now. 
And you finally go over to the gift, you open the gifts, you pick up the card. You open the card that your friend gives you, and you see it, and you wipe your eyes. You're like, I can't believe this. And you, you cry, you laugh, you faint, you get up, you laugh some more, you call them, you love them, and you realized, you realized in that moment that your life had changed. You opened up the card and you actually received, you lambosened something that you had already been given. That's the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the immersion of the Holy Spirit. Listen, your life changed at salvation. When the Holy Spirit came into your life, the polarity of your life changed. Your heart changed. We learned that earlier. In that moment, you received, you gained, you obtained salvation. You obtained everything. Your life changed. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is taking initiative to take hold of what has already been given to you. When your friend gave you the gift, your testimony was, my friend, my wonderful friend, he, they thought so much of me that they gave me a gift. They gave me a gift. Isn't that wonderful? They were so kind and thoughtful that they gave me a gift. That's your testimony when you had just obtained it. But when you opened the gift and you saw what it was, your testimony became, my friend gave me this life-changing gift, and now I'm using it to get out of debt. I'm using it to give to the poor. I'm using it to give to my friends. I'm using it to help those in needs. Do you see how the testimony changes there? Do you see what's happened in your life in that moment? Oswald Chambers said it this way. When a man experiences salvation, the note of testimony is what Jesus has done for him. When he is baptized with the Holy Spirit, he becomes a witness, which means much more than a testifier to the blessings that they have received. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is always connected with testimony and service. It's always connected with going. It's always connected with the power to be the church. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 4.31 says this, After the prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 says, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? If you'll allow me the privilege, I want to share with you my story. I was saved at age nine. I told you that, my salvation story. My life changed that day. There was a polarity change in my heart that day. I served the Lord early age, and I surrendered to a call to full-time vocational ministry. I had giftings that the Lord had given. I was aware, and I, used, I began to use them to serve the Lord. I was driven to do more and more and more and more. The bigger and the more successful my ministry was, the more I thought that God was pleased with me. That was the lie I believed. That was the trap I fell into. I was what I would consider at the height of my ministry, 
everybody looking on the outside would say, oh, Daniel's golden boy. He's got it together. Everything he touches is so successful. But the truth of the matter is, is I was tired. I was worn out. I was frustrated. I was unfulfilled. My life was out of balance. My home was out of balance. I was extremely insecure. I was wounded and I was broken. Having all of that, serving the Lord. My ministry had become my identity. I would read scripture, but I had difficulty understanding it. I participated in evangelism outreach three times a year for 11 years. Do the math. We'd get teams, we'd go out, but I hated every second of it. It felt contrived and fake to me. I was becoming cynical. But the Holy Spirit and His good grace began to work on my heart. He put a dissonance in me. There was this tension. It was a holy dissatisfaction that I cannot explain. And I could not get over it. So I began to search. I began reading in the New Testament... Acts, John, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. And I saw all this power that was displayed in Scripture. I read, well, this same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the same power, that's that's the same power living in me. But that statement was not entirely true for me. I believed that the power was there. I did in faith. But I had not experienced the power of God like that in my life. I had not. I had seen God work. There were moments. But I did not have a life that I would have ever described filled with supernatural power. I would not have described my life. In fact, I was very much an introvert. Believe it or not. I was completely void of that power, but I wanted it. Oh, I wanted it bad. So I began to pray. I began to pray, God, is this all there is to the Christian life? This tired, worn out, striving, I was doing all the things. Bigger, better, is is this all there is? Or is there more? And I remember thinking to myself, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. And the Holy Spirit in His graciousness answered me. And He said, there is more. There is more. And I became so desperate for a move of God in my life because I knew if I didn't have a move, I was was getting out. I was going to get out of ministry. I was so desperate For a move of God in my life that I declared, whatever you have, I want what you've got. Whatever you have, I want it all. I don't want just a little, I want it all. I want it all. I want all you've got. And over a period of the next days and weeks and months to follow, the Holy Spirit started to do a work in me. He started to bring things to my mind that I needed to repent of. 
I remember driving down the road in the truck in our town and repenting before God out loud the things that he told me were in the way of me experiencing the fullness of the Spirit in my life. And I was being set free from many things. One day I was on my way to the office. I worked at a church. And I was praying. I was driving the little 2001 Honda Accord I'm driving right now. And I remember praying, Oh God, I yield everything to you. Would you just please pour out your spirit over my life? Would you please? I'm begging you to take over my life. Take over my life. I'm too tired to do it anymore. I got to the office. I was sitting at my desk and I heard this voice. As if someone were sitting in my office behind me. And I remember it to this day. It said, go find me. Go find me. I went to the bathroom. That's honest. I did. I went to the bathroom. And I remember coming back down the hallway, back to the office. And I heard, go find me. So I went back into my office, walked back in. I grabbed my Bible. And what I understood the Lord to say was, go to a quiet place and get with me. So I went, I found the prayer chapel, prayer room, whatever. And I went in there and I opened up the Bible. I don't remember where I was, but I remember reading in the Psalms. I began to sing. I sang, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. I started singing that. And I was praying and singing. And then in God's grace, His Spirit came and fell heavy on me. Immediately, I began to pray in tongues. I understood what was happening. I wept and worshipped before the Lord. And I experienced His power in that room over my life in a way that I had never known before. Here I was, the most skeptic of skeptics. The most conservative of conservatives. I was not coerced. I had not been exposed I had not certainly been predispositioned. No one was with me. I was all by myself. Which I knew the Lord knew I needed for me to believe what he was doing in my life in that moment. But here I was now experiencing firsthand what I had been reading in scripture all along. But it didn't stop there. From that day on, other gifts came forward, such as edification of the scripture for understanding, to teach, and to preach, the gifts of the prophetic, and knowledge, and gifts of wisdom came forth, my ability to share the gospel, which I had never had before. Remember, I hated going out on faith witness training all those years. 
my ability, it came with fervor. And a heart for missions came on strong. And I'm here to tell you today that the immersion or the baptism in the Holy Spirit that came on me that day has never diminished. And it changed my life that day because it equipped me and it empowered me for what I am doing right now just as it did for the believers in the New Testament church. Listen to me. I would not be here behind this pulpit today if that day would not have happened in that prayer chapel. I did not have the giftings. I did not have that. And as I've grown to understand the work of the Spirit through studying Scripture, through my own experience, and through other, the witness of others, I've come to learn, baptism in the Spirit, listen to me, it is not a mark of maturity for a believer. It is not for the elite. It is available for everyone in whom the Holy Spirit indwells. There are those who experience it in tandem with their conversion experience. Praise God. There are others like me who the Holy Spirit leads to later on in their journey with the Lord. It's a matter of sanctification that he brings to us. It does not matter when. It does not matter how. That's the Spirit's business. But it is a work that God wants to do in the life of every believer. He wants to do that work in every believer. Then the question becomes then, how do I experience that? Well, Luke eleven thirteen tells us. If you then being evil, that is sinful by nature, that's all of us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And what's the word? Continue to ask. How much more? Jeremiah 29, 13. You know Jeremiah 29, 11. Later on in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, Then with a deep longing you will seek me and require, and require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you search with me with all of your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you to a place today where you would say, God, I know that I'm saved. I know that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in me. I know that, but I have never fully felt the empowerment to share the gospel. I read the Bible with little understanding. I do all the things that Christians are supposed to do. I've changed the way I do things. I work so hard to impress you. Lord, with my giftings and service, I strive and I strive and I strive, but I see very little growth. There's no joy and I'm tired of striving. And I want to know the full dimensions of your love. I want to know the fullness of it. I want to know all of who you are. I'm asking you to settle on my life, come upon me and immerse me in the things of your spirit, oh God, I pray. The Holy Spirit indwells. He baptizes but do be empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must continually, here's number three, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's indwelling, there's baptism, there's filling. We see in Scripture. Acts 2, 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the word filled in this passage is translated pletho. In the Greek, and it means filled to one's capacity to the max. Filled to the max. And in this context, the the definition would be wholly take possession of the mind. Okay? So in that, in the scripture, Acts 2 4, it's be filled to fully take possession of the mind. Now, the filling, I want you to hear, there's, listen to me for just a second. The filling of the Holy Spirit 
are specific moments when the Holy Spirit gives immediate and sudden inspiration to exercise his gifts through you for a specific purpose or situation. All right? Now I want to show you in I want to show you in scripture. Peter and John before the council. They came before the council. Remember the it said that they saw that these men, these ordinary men had been with Jesus. They saw that. Remember? In Acts 4:8 it says then Peter filled Plato, Plato with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of people. Now the Holy Spirit in this moment, in this moment filled them with words of wisdom and knowledge because they spoke of things that would, they would not know and they spoke eloquently. They spoke in ways they would not speak normally. So the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do this. When Paul was converted, you know, Paul used to be Saul, by the way. Remember Saul on the way to the road to Damascus? In Acts 9, 17, it says, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul... <laughs> Good. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit here, if you continue to read, you'll see the Holy Spirit filled Paul with the gift of faith because Paul went immediately and what did he start doing? What did he do immediately? Preaching and teaching. I mean, he immediately, man, he went the opposite direction immediately. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul rebuked the sorcerer, do you remember when he did that? He was walking through the town and there was this sorcerer girl coming up behind him and she was saying all the right things, but it wasn't, it wasn't right, okay? In Acts um, 13, 9, then, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked directly at uh, Elimus and said, O child of the devil and enemy of all righteousness, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. So the Holy Spirit filled Paul with the gift of discernment of spirits in that moment. He was able to discern that was not a godly spirit that was speaking, even though it was saying all the right things, very flattering things. See, these specific moments when they were filled, were filled when they, they need to exercise the gifts of the spirit, they're they were filled and overtaken by the Holy Spirit in those moments. Now, you may have recognized that almost every Sunday when I stand to preach, I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me to preach His Word. You, you recall that? Almost every week. This is what I'm asking Him to do. I'm asking Him to plytho me. To take over. Have you ever been in a ministry moment? you just been with somebody? And you said things and did things and recalled scripture that you didn't even know you knew. Have you ever been in that situation? And you, I mean, you were like, you responded in ways that surprised you. You're like, ah, but you walked, see, you walked away knowing that something else was in charge other than you. You ever been in that situation? You know what I'm talking about? Something was working in and through you to accomplish what just happened. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. To, do, to accomplish what he needs to accomplish in that moment. I'm convinced the reason people don't share the gospel, the reason churches are shallow and declining, the reason pastors aren't preaching with boldness and fire is because they are not baptized in nor filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do so. See, when the Spirit of God falls on you to do his work, you will know it. 
you will know it. And finally, I have one question. The question is, do I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I have to be? No. You don't. You have to be immersed with the Spirit of God. I mean, indwell, I'm, I'm sorry. You have to have the Spirit of God indwelling in you. But you do not have to be baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. Guess what? You can be a believer and make it to heaven without baptism or the filling. Do you know that? If you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, if you're marked, you can make it to heaven. Sure as the world. I'll see you there. But my question is, why would you want to? Why would you want to just stop there? Why would you not want to know the full dimension of the love of Jesus in your life? Why would you want to stop at just God the Father who defines love? Why would you want to just know the definition of love? Why would you want to know, see love displayed? But why would you never want it delivered? And put in such a way empowered for you to deliver it? Why would you not want to know that full dimension of love? If the people of God that are indwelled with the Spirit of God are not operating in the power of the Spirit of God, you might do some good things for God in your power and with your giftings, but you'll not be on mission building the kingdom of God in His power. I've been there. See, empowered people means empowered churches. Empowered churches are sent churches. Empowered churches are worshiping churches. Empowered churches have a heart for the lost and for the broken. And when the Holy Spirit is indwelling and we are, be we are being immersed and filled, we will be the church. Did you know that our entire model and the fabric of Cultivate Church is woven with these truths that I just shared with you today? Did you know that? Did you know that? If we do not live and operate out of the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Cultivate church will shrivel up and die. We will become, like many other churches around the world have become, we will become a social scene. We will become a place where you can come and sing about the love of God. We'll read about, the, the, we'll read about Jesus' love for us. You'll hear a good message that'll tickle your ears. But we'll shrivel up and die. The empowered person is a delivery system. Delivering the power of Jesus to others through the Holy Spirit. It's a delivery system. You get a bunch of empowered people together, then you've got an empowered church. Delivering the love of God to a lost and dying 